RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. So we've been catching up on a few people here on Reality Check Radio, Dr. Matt Shelton, last week. This week, I wanted to catch up with another man that I had a really good chat with back in, I think, July 2022, and he is former Qantas 737 captain, Graham Hood. Hoodie. (laughs) Um, I just like saying that. So, Graham, it's great to uh, chat with you again. Are you well? Yeah. Look, I'm tired. Uh, We're we're fighting a an extensive action over here. There's no doubt about it. And uh, Michelle and I have just come home in the last couple of days after completing three tours, summing forty thousand kilometres over twenty six weeks. And uh, we're just going out and building wow. communities and getting to hear the people and, and talking to them. And it's been an incredibly uh, great time of building, of community building, but it's been exhausting hearing their horror stories as well. And, you know, we'll we'll talk about some of those stories. I'm just wondering, though, uh, when you were sitting not too long ago in that left seat of the of the big jet airliner, could you ever have imagined this and no. and what you're doing now? Not in my wildest dreams. Not in my wildest dreams. I, I, uh, I've got to examine everything every day and say, what on earth am I doing? But to be honest with you, Paul, I, I always thought my life was about flying airplanes and and all the things that went with that. But I realised it's just been part of an education process to equip me for what I'm doing now, and and also that the job itself, the career itself, gave me a certain amount of credibility in order to have a voice. And uh, the people, a lot of people over here are asking me and and my friend John Larda, the paramedic, to be that voice. And um, so we're we're stepping into that uh, into that uh, mantra, if you like, and we're going for it. So when you threw those uh, four stripes down on the table, yeah, okay, it's aged well, right? Yeah, <laughs> it has. Yeah, look, it was a sad day when I resigned. I had to resign to give myself some form of legal protection. Uh, because I was coming out hard against Qantas, and that uh, deservedly mm. so. Um, and and sending that resignation off by email uh, was pretty um, pretty gut wrenching. And uh, that shook sound. Yeah, yeah. it's funny. It's I started gone. laughing, and, and Michelle said, "Why are you laughing? You just sent your resignation." I said, "That sound just sounds like the sound you get in the toilet when you press the button of an airplane on the <laughs> airplane." And uh, I just thought, "There goes my career around the S bend." All right, so. Uh, I think when we talked, it was it was kind of early days in the aftermath, the immediate aftermath, and you were explaining, you know, that you, you'd been talking to people and uh, and many in the aviation industry. But since then, you mentioned what forty thousand k's plus you've been travelling. Yeah, boy, where do you start with a story like that? Well, look, it, it happened by accident because we we were isolated from uh, kids and grandkids in WA, Western Australia. For almost three years and uh, we couldn't bear it anymore michelle was beside herself she had to go and see family so mcgowan the premier had closed the borders and was leaving them closed and we decided we were going to run the border uh we were just if I, if i had to be arrested i was going to be arrested i mean it was ludicrous so we hooked up our caravan and we drove across country and we were letting people know we were heading to the border and we were going to cross you know we were doing lives and all that sort of stuff to keep people in the loop and when we got to the border, there were no police there. We had to go through a you know a quarantine check to make sure we had no fruit and vegetables in the caravan. And then uh, the guy said, you're free to go. And we drove through and it, there must have been a shift change in the police or whatever. But we got into Western Australia and, and the minute we crossed the border and we, we told people we made it, there were all these requests to have us, you know, call into 
you're driving through our town. Can you stop and have a cup of tea with us? And uh, a cup of tea turned out to be, you know, 40 or 50 people. And then that grew to a couple of hundred people. And um, before we knew it, we had inadvertently started a community of unity tour, which has been going ever since. And um, I figured out, I think we've spoken at over 220 communities. And uh, some some days we were speaking two and three times a day and baptising a lot of people on the way too. We've baptised nearly 200 people since we started the tour. So it's, it's been incredible. And we're just linking communities and giving them giving them what we feel they need to consider in order to uh, regain their resilience and be fear-proof and therefore uh, be able to stand without having to comply with every government narrative that comes down the, down the pipe. So there's what you, you can feel a, a, a spiritual force pushing you along here. Oh, absolutely, uh, without a doubt. I, um, I I have a deep faith in Jesus Christ, but I hate religion. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah, I'm, I'm a man of faith, but I, I put no stock in religion. I think religion is a business of God conducted by men, and they're not very good at it. And uh, I think corporate religions have let people down all over the world in their lockstep with uh, government and bureaucracy. Um, but people are leaning more into faith. I'm finding a lot of atheists are asking me to pray with them. And um, that's been really interesting because uh, people have lost faith in every institution on the planet. I don't know if you can name one that you actually trust, Paul, uh, but, um, you know, I can't trust anything on the planet. I've lost faith in absolutely everything except uh, the government in heaven for me. So, And I'm finding a lot of people are leaning that way because they realise we're in a battle between good and evil and you either kneel in the dark or you stand in the light. So um, it's an interesting journey. Yeah, battle of, of, of good versus evil. That should be an obvious battle, but we are in a tribal, we've been forced into into tribes, haven't we, really? I mean, there's the the believers of the, the science religion, whatever you want to call it. Um, there are those like yourself, and I would say me too, that, that really completely on the other side but then there's that sort of zone somewhere that do you find in your travels are waking up is that the right term yeah look it's pretty clear that more and more people are waking up um they're asking the big questions and uh and that's a perfect opportunity for people like us to speak into that question um and we're finding well by the government saying figures in australia 1.3 million people didn't get vaccinated and they've also admitted that 5 million have said no to any any more than two. So if you put those figures together, that's 6.3 million uh, people in Australia who are potentially awake because anyone who's had two and isn't getting any more, they've smelled a rat in the cheese factory and they're saying, hang on a minute. Hmm. Uh, even one of our TV, our morning TV presenters in Australia, Carl Stefanovic on Channel 9 has come out and said, look, I'm not getting any more. You know, I'm sick of playing this game, you guys. And... Um, so if 6.3 million people are awake, then, and I think it's more than that, that's based on government figures. My question to the audiences where I speak is, um, how many of you who are awake are likely to go back to sleep? And everyone says, no way. So if if the people who are awake don't go back to sleep because they can't, and I don't know anyone who could, then our numbers can only increase with the more people that wake up each day. So... I personally think the global elite have jumped out of the starting barrier too soon. I think they jumped the start. Okay. Mm. I think they've gone too hard too early. I think they've made a lot of people skeptical. I mean, I was, I was, I was one of the asleep until I made that video. <laughs> Excuse me. I was, um, 
I just towed the the company line. I towed the government line, and the government and the bureaucracies and the corporations have actually made me an extreme skeptic. And um, and so a lot of people, as as this COVID narrative is milked for everything it's worth, it's just about out. It's just about burned out. They'll bring on, bring in the central bank digital currency, the social credit system, facial recognition, all those other things I bring in. The people who slept through. Uh, the pandemic are likely to wake up for these other things that touch on touch a raw nerve with them where the pandemic didn't. And so I think we're going to see an exponential growth in, in people who are awake. And uh, that's clearly evident every time we speak. We're speaking to larger and larger audiences. And, um, and so what we have to do is make sure that we're disciplined. We've got to make sure our message is right on target. We've got to be mission focused. Uh, John Larder, the paramedic, and I have between us 78 years of combined risk-benefit analysis experience in two of the top 10 trusted professions in Australia. That is the Qantas captain and the paramedic. Um, and we have been able to say to a, a, a very um, sleepy mainstream audience that we could not possibly give informed consent. And I don't know anyone on the planet who could have given voluntary informed consent. I couldn't. I mean, there's no information. How can you, Paul? No. So uh, between the two of us, we have a credible presence. We're staying focused on our objective, which is there are five things we want to achieve in the current climate. We don't want the borders ever to close again. Borders must remain open in Australia, between states in particular. And there should be no borders between our, our brothers across the pond either. So we want borders to to uh, remain open. We want mandates ended. We want the children protected. We want everyone who's lost their job to get their jobs back with compensation. And we want a very heavy parliamentary inquiry slash Royal Commission until we can come up with something more akin to Nuremberg. Uh, because there is no doubt in my mind that crimes against humanity have been committed all around the world, and in particular in Australia. Uh, and Australia with New Zealand and Canada would have been the three lifeboat countries that everyone would want to flock to if if the world turns south. And look what's happened to these three countries, mate. Uh, the Kiwis, the Aussies and the Canucks, we are uh, we are more overruled and under the thumb of government than any other countries in the world. And I mean, it's just unheard of. Yeah, well, turkeys don't vote for Thanksgiving or Christmas. I never remember which one it is, but they don't vote for it. The institutions, the power elites, the elected politicians, um, they're going to have to agree to do this. Are you expecting every, as we go through this process, um, every door or exit exit to be sealed on, on the way through? I mean, just thinking of that video clip of the guy in the uh, British Parliament as he was about to um, uh, say his speech, and they literally had them scurrying out like sort of rats leaving a ship. It was bizarre. So... People are wondering, can this ever be accounted for? Well, the, the, obviously, the the um, the depth of the deception is so great, and the people who have forced this deception on us, and in particular the mainstream media, are extremely compliant in this. They've gone so deep into the pit; they're going to find it hard to extricate themselves. So they they're doubling down on the lie. Hence, we're seeing a a real hard push to get, you know, fifth boosters and all this sort of rubbish going on. When the when the um, the death rate is going through the roof in Australia, 20% increase in um, in mortality rate in Australia that's uh, unaccounted for. I mean, 
and everyone's everyone's looking at uh, long COVID as the cause, and they're blaming that. And nobody, nobody is in the mainstream mentioning. Hang on, could this be vaccine related? Not one. And until we can get a, a proper a balance in all of that, where the censorship is taken off, and the scientists and doctors who have been who have been cancelled in the last three years are allowed to speak and have a proper debate, and that will never happen because the mainstream uh, medical authorities who would be in that debate are refusing to accept a debate. But they know that they, they're going to be caught out. We've got a, a doctor over here, Philip Altman, who has worked uh, consulting with Big Pharma and the TGA for 44 years. He's an incredible, incredible man, and he's been really outspoken at what he's seen. And he will debate anybody. He's laid out the challenge. I will debate anyone in the world on what I know to be true, and nobody will take him up on it. So um, I think we're going to see we're going to see a, f- a couple of organisations back backpedalling a little bit. I think some of the mainstream media are starting to open the back door and leave it ajar for themselves to escape in a hurry. Uh, I'm pretty sure we'll see the ABC come out with a Four Corners or something documentary before the end of the year, saying that they were working undercover to uncover this deception. Yeah, there'll be some big <laughs> excuse, but yeah, um, it, it's unconscionable what they've done. And um, and we we look, Paul. What do we do? We either say, "Oh well, that's it," and, and forget about it and go fishing, or we say, "Not on our watch. We can't leave. We can't leave our our humanity to our, our kids and grandkids." Um, yeah, without yeah. putting a fight for it. So we're staying diligent. We're staying true to our message. We are. Uh, uh, we don't as much lay accusations in our program. We have a club grubbery program over here, John and I. Uh, we don't as much lay accusations as we pose questions and invite the authorities to come on and tell us we're wrong. And um, and so far, none of them are taking us up on that. Well, that's a bit of a tell. <laughs> um, in your travels, you must have had some amazing moments. I'm just curious what some of those might have been. Can you remember any of them? Well, of course you can remember them, but are you happy to... You know, give us a few. Yeah, look, absolutely. From a spiritual point of view, as we talked earlier, um, people would often ask me to baptise them, and I would, I would go into a freezing lake or stream to baptise one, one or two people. And by the time I got out of the water, maybe fifteen had come in to be baptised. People just bystanders would say, "I want to be baptised as well." Those things for me were were very, uh, I'll never forget them. It, it was a very spiritual moment for me. And uh, to have done that to, uh, in the last seven weeks, we've done 96 of those. They've been incredible. Uh, the other things, the other moments have been, well, one in particular, which was really interesting. Um, about seven months ago, John Larter and myself attended a Nigel Farage event. You know, Mr. Brexit was in Australia. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, we had dinner with Nigel and I, I posed the question to him, how long did he think it would take uh, to get Britain out of Europe when he started? And he said two and a half years. And I said, how long did it ultimately take? He said 17. Yeah. And he said, he looked me straight in the eye and he said, you guys are in for a long fight, but whatever you do, don't give up. Now, after that event, I spoke for about a minute at that event just to pose a question to him. And then when we were leaving the building, uh, two figures from one of the mainstream media networks approached us. One was a um, was a, a, a journalist of some repute, uh, in mainstream repute, that is, which isn't much in the way of repute in normal circumstances. The other one was the head of operations for this uh, this network, um, and it was he was a very senior executive, 
and they were at the event, not in the in the uh, in the guise of being there for their uh, network. They were there because they were awake, and I thought that was interesting. Yeah. They posed the question to us. They they told us that they had people on staff who were monitoring all the programming we were putting out on our on our little podcast. And they noted that there was something strange going on in the media, and and he articulated it in this way. He said, "Your viewership is going up, and ours is going down." And I made a quip about, "Oh, well, that's because our technology is better than yours." <laughs> I said, you know, I sit with my laptop on a on an ironing board and with a bit of cardboard under the leg to stop. It's it. the ironing board. <laughs> it's the ironing board, and uh, but in the end, they, they I said to them that people are turning off you guys because they don't trust you. And he said, we know that. He so they know it. They know it. They know it. And he admitted that his audience is asleep. He admitted that. And he admitted that he wanted to tell a story and there were people in on his crew that were awake. He wanted to write the uh, write the piece to bring this thing undone. But he said, I'm only so far up the ladder. I, I can't approve it. And um, and it's vitally important we keep these guys um in line so that when we do have to bring this stuff out and we can bring it out, we've got the people there ready to do it. Right. I thought that was interesting, but I said to him, or he said to, he said to us at one stage, you guys need to know how annoying you are. You like the, the, you like the mosquito in the corner of our bedroom every night buzzing. And he said, you guys are really annoying. You're annoying the politicians, the bureaucrats, the corporates and the media. And I said, sorry about that. He said, oh, no, don't be sorry. He said, keep doing it. He actually said to keep doing it. Um, and I believe we, we have an obligation to do that. But, boy, have we got to watch out for fake news because, Paul, it's rife on both sides of the fence. Yeah, and that's a good point. I mean, we're all mainstream media aware. But, yeah, there's the other side of it too, which is just as wrong but in the other direction. Yeah, well, we we are aware that people are being paid large sums of money to discredit people on the freedom side of the fence. Oh, I, I that's your point, right? I, yeah, I got that's it. The point. Yeah. There are a lot of people who uh, they want to they want to put out unbelievable stories uh, of of fake news, and they can do it so well with technology these days. And they're hoping like crazy that people like you and I will report on it so that we can be discredited. And so we we just stick to the stuff we know. We stick to the stuff we can verify. We're, we're mainly sticking with human interest type things where we're talking to vaccine injured people. We're talking to doctors and nurses and we're running a program called Media with Voices. So we're, we're encouraging mainstream media people to speak out. And um, and we're, we're really starting to get a, a good following in that regard. But we're trying to stay middle of the road without going too far to one extreme or another because we have to make it look credible. If the, if the only way we're going to tip the scales, Paul, is to wake the people who are now asleep. We're not going to do that by hitting them with an ice cold bucket of water straight up. We've got to wake them gradually. Yeah. So we have to drip feed them with the stuff that piques their attention and starts get them thinking and sharing. And that's what John and myself are doing. Yeah, it has to sound reasonable, doesn't it? Because yeah. that whole, you know, tinfoil hat rabbit hole stuff you hear all the time. Yeah. People immediately resist that. They don't want to be part of that. And I and I understand why. So you need to try and limit that. And this is not disingenuous behavior. you just got to do what you got to do. You've got to limit that uh, woo-woo perception and and have it just calm and reasonable, good information, 
I've seen a few people, you know, commenting on on certain things that people say, and you hear that. Oh, it sounds so reasonable. Oh, right. right. I, I haven't heard it like that before. Oh, he wasn't, you know, crazy. I think you're bang on with your assessment there. I think if we do that, and, and we're, we've got to be disciplined, and we've got to be mission focused, and that that's it. Our mission is to get the people to join our ranks who are now asleep, because most mm. all the people who are awake and now have now joined our, our ranks. We've got to yeah. bring this in gradually. And the other big push for me, you asked about memorable moments. Well, there was one meeting I did in Albany in Western Australia where I felt compelled to call the men out because there's a there's a, an absence of men in this whole thing. Men have been absent in society for a long time. We've been cancelled out by by a very uh, deliberate campaign that started back in the first industrial revolution to take men out of village life where they were mentoring good boys to be good men. And uh, that's been deliberately done to decrease security amongst amongst communities and family units and therefore making them more susceptible to fear-orientated compliance. So I had this urge to call the men out. And at that meeting, all the men came forward and they formed a line with their arms around each other and they they pledged to step back into the breach, to be the to be the men they needed to be at this time in our history. And I'm not talking about raising a militia and men arming up and making mm-hmm. Molotov cocktails. I'm talking about men standing in their integrity and in their honour. And the response was so great. I've done it at every meeting since, and I'm blown away at the tens of thousands of men who responded to that call. Um Teary, teary, wet-faced men who've come up and said, you know what, you're right. We've got to come back to our rightful place. You know, and where men of honour and integrity fit the mould of hero that makes women and children feel safe because they can flourish in safety. Um, We lower the male suicide rate. We lower the domestic violence rate. We lower the single-parent family uh, rate. And all these things work for the betterment of securing communities and family units that can repel fear and actually look after themselves without being complying into um, government protection. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of stuff we're doing in that line. And uh, to see the men come up with tears in their eyes, wanting to step back, and and even more important, the women giving them a standing ovation when they do. We haven't had one pushback from one woman who says you guys are being sexist, not one. That's pretty amazing. Then there's, and we've got to mention them, that they need to be mentioned. There's the vaccine injured. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and, and you, you would have seen a few, I would imagine. The gas, the gaslit second tier of, of our country's um, societies are the vaccine injured. Now, they, these people, I, I was totally ignorant of how far back vaccine injuries went. And and it's speaking with people who've been through this, you know, from childhood vaccinations years ago, the, the injuries that they've suffered, they have been totally gaslit and cancelled for years because they can't afford to have their voices heard. Uh, otherwise, uh, the whole narrative collapses. Some of the stories have been horrendous. Um, I had a pathologist contact me the other day who's remaining anonymous because he has a, he's actually helping to heal 550 vaccine injured at the moment. He was looking after 12,000 people in Australia with Peter McCullough's protocols and uh, 12,000 people who had COVID and not one of them went to hospital, 12,000. And this man has got to keep this work going because he's doing a lot of research. He's a compound pharmacist as well. And he told the story of a woman who who stayed at the surgery after her third, after her booster shot at the doctor's surgery, a woman early 40s. 
she was told to wait there for 15 minutes in case there was a side effect. At the end of that 15 minutes, she was extremely ill. And the doctor told her to wait there for another hour. And after that hour, he diagnosed her as just being uh, paranoid and uh, suffering from supreme anxiety and told her to leave. She went out into the car park where she started foaming at the mouth. She had two massive seizures. And while the ambulance was there trying to resuscitate her, she had a second stroke and died. Oh. Within 90 minutes of the vaccine. Anxiety. Yeah. And this is what they're doing, uh, Paul, over here. I'm sure they're doing it in, in New Zealand. We've heard similar. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I did an interview with um, New Zealand Doctors SOS. Um, and, um, that, yeah, the, the whole the whole narrative is gaslighting people into making them feel like they're um, they're sick in the head, um, so that, that you know their their uh, their statistics aren't counted in the in the TGA figures, and doctors are protecting their butts because this uh, this this pathologist and um, and and uh, pharmacist that I was talking about has had several mainstream doctors come to visit him. And they go around and they have a wine with him, and and uh, he put he put to them some of the pathology results that he's getting from people who have suffered from vaccine injuries, and the numbers are incredible. Uh, you know, a, a chemical that's naturally produced in the body, for example, a hormone which may have a a normal range between one and five, he, they're coming back with ranges in excess of twelve hundred, and he's seeing. He's seeing uh, terrible failings in pregnancies and breast milk in particular, loaded with spike protein. And he's presenting this data to the doctors and he's showing it to them and they're sitting there sipping on a wine and they're looking with their eyes open and their chins on the ground. And he says to them, you guys have got to do something about this. Well, it's not that easy, mate. You know, we've got to be <laughs> careful. Uh, you know, we've got practices, we've got mortgages. And he says to them, well, you've just, you've just failed the, the Hippocratic Oath you no longer have the right to be called doctor because you put your own financial welfare ahead of that of your patients. Yeah. Um, it's hard, it's hard to, to rationalize that because, okay, you've got mortgages and, and positions and everything, but when you're talking about pregnant women's breast milk, mm-hmm. you know, and lives being lost. Of course. You know, people dropping dead. I mean, why are all the young athletes dying? Um, well, no one talks about that either. No, and I, I spoke to a lady um, last week at a, one of the gatherings, an elderly lady, a beautiful lady, who is at a, a nursing home slash retirement village on the central coast of New South Wales. And she says, you can't get in there for love and money normally. And they used to get one or two deaths a month. Now they're getting four and five a week. And now they're advertising cut rates to get people to occupy their facility because they've got so many empty rooms and they're trying to boost business. And she said, and I spoke to a funeral director at that same meeting who says they've never been so busy and they're actually doubling up in the fridges. They're doubling up. Normally those would be shock, horror, front page news stories, wouldn't they? Normally. back in conspiracy theory. Yeah. Yeah. What are your plans then? Are you going to do more traveling? Uh, because it sounds like quite an effort. You probably want to take a bit of a break. Um, are you thinking of what new things to do and how you can build on what you've all already been doing over the past? What would it be now? A year? Yeah, well, it's been uh, it's been eighteen months. Eighteen. Okay. Uh, yeah. Look, we we are going to do more traveling. We're going to try and regionalize it a bit more because we've got 
Uh, we are a little self-sufficient farm where we live. We saw the we saw the things going down uh, about 15 years ago and set ourselves up to be off-grid, um, which actually classifies me as a domestic terrorist in Australia. <laughs> uh, I meet the criteria I in five ways. First, I believe in God. Secondly, I haven't been vaccinated. Thirdly, I'm off the grid. Uh, fourth, I'm self-sufficient. I have a firearms licence, uh, which is fifth. And, uh, oh, sixth, I'm outspoken against the government, so I'm classified as a domestic terrorist. Uh, anyway. That's incredible, we, isn't it? I mean, you, you list that off and you think, yeah, great citizen. Yeah, great citizen. Yeah, fine, good. And Oh, you're a terrorist. All right. Yeah, I just, you know, I want to, I want to, I want to keep a high moral standard with my faith. Uh, I want to keep a small carbon footprint. I don't want to be relying on government welfare, so we're self-sufficient. Small carbon footprint, get off the grid. I've done everything the government's asked me to do in, in pre-planning my retirement for the last 15 years. And because I've done what they've told me to do, I'm now a terrorist. I mean, it's just absurd. But we will keep uh, touring. We'll do more regional centres. Uh, we're planning to organise larger meetings and we won't have any trouble filling big venues. None at all. Uh, we would dearly love to come over to uh, to New Zealand and tour New Zealand. There's been a lot of requests for us to do that. We're dead keen to do that. Uh, now that Jacinda's out of the way, maybe we can get in there. I'm not too sure what the new guys like, but well, he was the COVID nineteen response manager at the time or minister. So yeah. I don't know if um, much has changed. And you might have heard of the uh, I don't know how closely you've been following the news. One of your reporters, Avi Yemeni, recently was stopped from coming into the country. Uh, the Rebel News reporter, and uh, we've had um, Posey Parker here over the weekend uh, after being in Australia, and that turned into a bit of a mess. There was a question of whether they'd let her in. See, this is where we're at today. Yeah. You, you know, you just used to be able to go to another country before, but but now there's, there's you know, all these um, things. I, I want to ask you this question because you mentioned it in that little list of, of terrorist things. Do you think in all of this, that there is that that beliefs are being targeted. Oh yeah, absolutely like on purpose. You know. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. You look at a lot of the um, the narrative on the alternative media. It's it's mainly centered around faith. Um, most of the most a big chunk of the people who attend the rallies, for example, are Christians, and the people speaking out are Christians. Like Maria Z, for example, over here has had her bank accounts cancelled. Um, she's a yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it seems that most of the voices are, are based in a Christian faith. Um, I kind of wish we were doing it under the under the is, the umbrella of Islam because Islam seems to have protections in Australia that Christian faith doesn't have. But uh, we are being targeted and we're being cancelled. Make no mistake. Um, it is. It's a clear objective. It's part of the uh, the left wing woke woke objective. Because everything that Christian morality stands for is obviously against the woke objective. And um, so there's not a doubt in my mind that we'll be cancelled. Um, John Lader and myself with our program, Club Grubbery, we can't understand why Facebook haven't shut us down. We don't censor anything we say. But we're yeah, That's still interesting. That, that's really yeah. interesting because the AI is powerful. It knows. So yep. um, any ideas on that? Well, <laughs> One of our IT guys found the footprints of the Australian Signals Directorate all over our our um, our social media. Now they are a division of Department of Defence, and they normally monitor intelligence traffic out of North Korea, China, and Indonesia. And they're now passing what they call passing. They're taking down 
the uh, Mac and I and and uh, the um, addresses Mac and uh, what's the other one? PC, the other. Yeah, the the other uh, Mac address and IP addresses. Oh right, right. sorry, IP. Yep. They call it passing, and uh, I don't know what that means exactly, but they've left their dirty footprints all over everything we're doing, and we're clearly being monitored by them. And uh, they're, they're registering the, the MAC and IP addresses of everyone who watches our program. And we are so middle of the road, it's not funny. We deliberately keep it that way. Uh, That's why they let you carry on. I think so. I think they're. I think it's a way of, of, uh, of using us as a barometer for what's going on in society. And to capture those IP addresses, which can lead then to, I guess, physical locations, potentially. Potentially, but you know, we say to our, our listeners and our viewers, don't be perturbed by that because um, we're not doing anything wrong. We wake up every morning, and until I see a news item that says we're we're a communist country now and we're no longer a democratic country, uh, we have the right to to view and to mm, say whatever we uh, whatever we feel. Um, but there's not a doubt in my mind, or any anyone with a with a, a thought process, that Australia and New Zealand have become communist countries. We fit all the criteria. There's the censorship, the cancelling of identities, the fact that we're shifting to, um, you know, AI control and uh, digital recognition. There's going to be so the things that we're bringing down the pipe now. Hitler would have loved to have had in the 1930s. He would have had a field day with the technology we've got now. And anyone who thinks that we're not in that mode uh, in the world at the moment needs to. They're not as awake. I mean, what happened when? Uh, what brought Hitler to power was the Treaty of Versailles in the First World War, which which imposed ten years of reparations on the people of Germany, and they the most articulate, uh, sophisticated, and well-educated people in Europe, the German people, were starved to death. They were dropping to de- de- dropping dead in the streets in their hundreds of thousands, and they were looking for a hero. and And who came to the surface but Adolf Hitler? Hmm. Now he made them a lot of promises, and he kept them. And they loved the fact that they were returning to the so-called new normal. They were getting their lives back. Uh, and Hitler wanted to make Germany great again. <laughs> and uh, and he did that. And and as the people were prosperous and they were going to restaurants and cafes and bars and their kids were being educated and they had jobs and they even had the uh, mantle radio given to them with a swastika on That's it. That's right, yeah. Everyone. And so they could listen to propaganda, which is the other big tool that the communist countries use. And then, uh, but people in Germany started to notice things they weren't happy about. Why were they burning the books? Why, where were they taking the Jews in the trucks? Where were they taking the gypsies? Where were they, what were they doing with the dissident professors in the universities? And they dare not mention it because most of the people were saying, hang on a minute, um, I think it's a lot easier for us to be part of the, on the side of the oppressor rather than on the side of the oppressed. So 80% of the people of Germany turned the other way against the things that they didn't like in order to maintain their new normal and keep their prosperity. And that's happening in Australia and New Zealand and in Canada and other parts of the world. And that that is fascism and communism, the birthings of right in front of our noses here on uh, in the 21st century. It's scary stuff. He probably would have won with the modern tools. Yeah. Because the control potential is so all-encompassing, the monitoring. Well, there's a lot of people saying that he he actually has one. Okay, yeah, right, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, that, that ideology is actually permeated through Western culture. The Nazi ideology is per, has permeated through our culture, and it's been there for a long time, and it's 
it's becoming more and more evident now as the agenda is becoming clearer to those who are waking up. It's intergenerational in that case. It has to be. Yeah. Mm. It has to be. I mean, it's it's all about control. It's got nothing to do with health. It's all about control. Okay, wrapping up, how do you see the next year or two based on what we've already seen? Are things speeding yeah. up or is it grindingly slow? It's 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 steadily going ahead, and I and we a lot of us over here have the belief that 2023 is the year of truth. Um, we fly our damn buster missions every night, dropping bouncing bombs of truth against the damn wall, and she's gonna crack. We're seeing the evidence of that happening. Um, the lies uh, that are now being uh, pushed out there by the media, and for example, you know we're we're dropping the mandates now because we've got enough people vaccinated. We don't need that anymore. Um, the number of vaccine deaths and the number of um, unexplained deaths, the death rate going through the roof, all these things are going to push the truth right to the edge of the boundary. And I think this is the year of truth, but we must keep the pressure on. We must remain diligent. We must remain strong, mission-focused, and we must be disciplined. We've got to stop running off at the mouth down all these different rabbit holes. We've got to stay focused on the task at hand, win one battle at a time. Yeah. And uh, if we do that and don't spread ourselves too thin, I think we'll see a massive, uh, I think we'll see the rally season kick off again as more truth comes out. And I think the numbers will be greater. And I also think that the mainstream media will have soft pockets in there that will actually start reporting on the truth. Um, and that's whether I'm pie in the sky or not, I don't know, Paul, but it's a worthy objective and I'm going to stick to it with my friends. Good on you, and and all the best to you. Doing great work, and yeah. uh, I wish we had someone kind of like you here. Um, what are you doing? Well, I'm. <laughs> I don't. I don't have the hair or the or the uh, the, the wise face. Uh, no, I'm, I'm trying. We're trying with this. This is why we set it up, and That's it's it. you know yeah. So we're if, doing if what fun. what you can with the skills you've got. You know. That's it. If people only realise there's not one person on the planet more important than any one of us, not one, and everyone's got a role to play. And if the planet was a great, big, massive, seven billion piece jigsaw puzzle, we are each integral to that puzzle and we each have a role to play. And when when either one of us is not present, the picture isn't complete. So we have to stick to what we know to be true. We have to hold the line. We have to stick to integrity, honesty, and honour. These are the things that will carry us through. The truth will set us free. I'm, I'm convinced of us. Um, you reminded me that that's a that's a great way of putting it. You reminded me of, of something that the person James Rogusky. We we talked to him the other day in California on the World Health Organization International Health Regulations. But he he, he had a similar one. I just share it. He said, imagine a cloud. And every raindrop is a person in that cloud. What would happen if 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 none of the raindrops wanted to fall? Yeah, the cloud. What would the cloud do? There'd be nothing. There'd be nothing. <laughs> there'd be no water. There'd be no rain. There'd be nothing. So, if, uh, if everybody on the planet just said no, yeah, we don't need to be powered up with weaponry and have all this sophistication. We just have to say no. We're not complying. Because if everybody said no, that means the police would say no, the military would say no. We're not playing your games anymore. The, the global elite would be the global uh, the global trash. Yeah. And we have the we have that power in ourselves right now, as individuals. Seven billion plus, nearly eight billion individuals on this planet have the power to seize control for for the sovereign rights of human beings, and we're not doing it. <laughs> 
We could do it tomorrow. We could do it now. What was it now? Yeah, yeah. why wait? Yeah. Why yeah. wait? I mean, it's just so we those of us who are awake have an obligation to present uh, a palatable menu to those who are asleep. Yep. That's what we're trying to do. Graham Hood, great to chat again. Good to see you looking well, even though this is audio. I can see you during this interview. And uh, I hope the, the the power stays on now that you're off the grid and yeah. on their list. <laughs> yes, it, it will. It'll um, everything everything will stay on. You know, the sun comes up every day, Paul, and it goes down every afternoon. And you know, you still live in an amazing country, and so do we. We are blessed yeah. in the South Pacific, and uh, we've got to make the most of those opportunities. You know, and I say to people in my program every night, what you did yesterday got you to today. Yeah. And what you do today will get you to tomorrow. And if you love somebody and you haven't told them, for goodness sake, give them a call now. You may just save their life. It's that critical. Well, thank you, Hoodie. Good on you, Paul. Great talking to you. Yeah, we'll catch up again sometime. It shouldn't be too long. Maybe not quite a year, but certainly I'm interested in following what you're doing. Maybe in your studio in person. That'd be good. Yeah, we don't have a studio yet. <laughs> oh yeah, neither do I. I'm actually I'm actually sitting in a shed. Would you believe? Um, yeah. Well, that's the thing about these days, right? You you really don't need that sort of infrastructure anymore, and that's where the mainstream uh, are going to. Uh, I mean, they have to pay for all that overhead. So you know, that's right. That's yeah. right. I mean, with an ironing board and a laptop, you can reach the world, Paul. Yeah, I'll get the ironing <laughs> board out right now. Okay, Graham Hood. Thanks so much. See ya. God bless you, mate. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.